After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You got to check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? 
guys, happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. Look, I'm back in the studio this week, and I got quite a lot to say. Coming up on today's program, I'm going to give you some he said, she said between Conor McGregor and Dana White, plus I'm going to tell you why Paulo Costa's next opponent reminds me of Hazmat Chamaya. Those stories and more are coming up later, but let's begin here. All right, guys, let's break this down. Now, we're only as good as the information that we're given, right? But we got a few things that are all over the board here. In fact, I have a very different interpretation, even the guys over here at the studio have. Here, let me, let me throw this at you. Conor McGregor claimed over the weekend that he has entered the USADA pool. Now, if I was to be more specific on that, Conor used one word as it pertained to him entering the pool, and that word was done. Said it's done. So I would assume that to mean he's off to the races, but also over the weekend. Dana came out and said, Connor's got to get into the pool. He then said, and this is Dana speaking, that we have a fight. We're going to make an announcement during one of the episodes of The Ultimate Fighter. We're going to do a big show in November. We're also going to do a very big show in December. All right, that's really good details, and I like it. I brought you two weeks ago that Connor versus Chandler is being looked at to headline the Garden in November. Dana came out over the weekend to say there's going to be a big show in November. Now he also said in December, but let's go back. He said November. He said November and December. He said November. If you go back to what I told you two weeks ago, I told you that was being looked at for November, but don't forget what that means. If Connor and Chandler go to the top of the bill for the Garden in November, it means that Jones and Stipe come off the top of the bill for the card at the Garden in November. If Jones and Stipe doesn't happen, if those, for whatever reason, whatever is holding, if that fight doesn't happen, that fight isn't going to happen. That's, that is not going to be rebooked and reworked again. John doesn't want to wait. And whatever is really going on there, I mean, in, in all fair, what, whatever is going on, they either got that deal done or they don't. If we're if we're still playing hide the ball with the contract, right? I mean, a deal is done or it's not. You've got Sergey Pavlich that wants to fight. You've got John Jones who needs to fight. And I shared with you two weeks ago my prediction. Now, my prediction hinges on Connor entering the pool and Connor and Chandler getting down in November. It hinges on that, but I think that Pavlovich and Jones are going to fight in August. That's what I think. I even had I even had a calendar out. It was, it was an August 29th. I'm just sharing for you. I think that that's the direction this is going. And the nail in the coffin will be if Chandler and Connor take over that, that spot at the Garden. Now, we are informed that there's going to be something big in December, which sounds like you could play a little move this, move that, right? It's one of these things. It's, it's one of these things. So, but that's done. That's either done or it's not. Connor says that he entered the pool. Dana says that he needs to enter the pool. The fight is done. We've got it. It's going to be announced during an Ultimate Fighter. I'm looking at the and going, look, I'm only as good as the information that I'm given, but if he hasn't entered the pool, how do we have a fight done? 
if we have a fight done and he's yet to enter the pool, we don't know when he's going to enter the pool, but the fight is done and the announcement is coming, it means that Connor's right in this game with Usada that Usada decided to play publicly, which was really, really bad form by Usada. That, that was really bad form. That they attempted to make a judgment and a ruling on something that's yet to be protested. At any rate, if a decision does have to be made, and if McGregor is going to take on USADA, he's yet to enter the pool. He says he's done, but the boss says that he's yet to enter the pool, but the fight date is done. It means, right? You guys understanding this? Are you understanding this? If the fight is done and the announcement is pending, but he hasn't entered the pool, but he needs to enter the pool. Are you following this? It creates a, a level of interest, and everybody has to be given room for, they misspoke. I misspoke. I didn't mean that. I meant to say this, but this part got away from me. Everybody has to be given room for this, so then you're left to guess. You'll have to try to pull information in. Even Connor being coy and saying, as it regards to Usada and getting the paperwork in, that done, even him just saying the word done, well, what's done, right? We know what that is supposed to mean, but how directly am I supposed to take this? Are you in or aren't you? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Usada said they have such big mouths on everything else. I don't know why they would keep that one quiet. I don't know. Connor's been very open on the Usada thing, so I don't know why he would keep that one quiet. I don't know. And that's before you even get into the athletic commissions. And, I mean, you know, th this is interesting. The, the PFL got a whole bunch of guys hit out in Nevada. Slap got a whole, what, 10 guys? It was something, it was, it was this crazy number, right? They get him hit in Nevada. And you guys don't ever think of Nevada as a testing? You just don't. You think of USADA. You think of only USADA. And you think of that because I can't remember the last time the commission hit somebody. Now, if the commission isn't catching guys regularly, as regularly as they always have, it just means they're not testing them as regularly or as regularly as they always have. That's all that that means, but it, th that is still, in and of itself, very interesting. They went and they tested the PFL, flagged them. They went and they tested SLAP. They they flagged them. Connor's doing the ultimate fighter there. There's a precedence. Once a fight is announced, the commission has authority. They never walked up and tested him. If they did walk up and test him, uh, then that would stop all of this conversation, you would think. That would be public. You'd have the right to know. But they didn't walk up and test him, did they? Why did they walk up and test him? They had the right. They had him. He was there. Why did they walk up and test him? And you, know, and you don't even think of it anymore, right? You just you only think of that as USADA. But their budgets haven't changed for any of the commissions. Their policies haven't changed for any of the commissions. Their rights haven't changed. Their precedences hasn't changed for any of the commissions. But you don't hear of it very often. You don't hear of the commissions going in and performing those tests. They kept the same budget. They kept the same funding. They kept the same staff. And they have the same rights that they always have. But you don't hear about it. You don't hear about it because it's not happening. And that creates for a very interesting dialogue, in my opinion. And above everything else, once you have these massive events and these massive cards, and they have a headliner, that headliner has a byproduct. And it's a matter of whoever gets there first. We're here, this is announcement is coming, but it's whoever gets there first. Jones and Stipe are said to be headlighting the garden. 
We're now we're told there's going to be two really big shows separated by four weeks, right? One in November, one in December. We're still, either way, never has anyone except for me associated Connor and Chandler to the Garden. Nobody has done that except for me. But we have associated Jones and Stipe. So if Connor comes in and takes the headlining spot, I predict for you that Jones and Stipe is gone. It, it doesn't exist anymore, but I also didn't have the information that we're going to go back-to-back really big cards, so let's just say we took it and we moved it to T-Mobile in December. You still see what's happening, right? If that's your card, even if you get to keep the fight together and you get a headline a card, but you do it at a later date because Conor McGregor rides into town, I mean, this isn't good news, right? This is a very embarrassing look for Jones and Stipe. They have a chance to get in front of it. They have a chance to get ahead of it and say, that's our date, the end. They have a chance to put their feet in and show a level of strength. They're not going to do it because they're not going to win that battle. They can't go head-to-head with Conor. It doesn't matter who his opponent is. But if you are the heavyweight champion of the world and you're taking on the most successful heavyweight former champion of the world, and you can't even keep your spot on a card, this is on a whim. This is on a whim, a non-title fight that doesn't even have a weight class on a whim for a guy that's not even in the pool. But if he comes back and he wants your card, you're out of there. I mean, not for nothing, but you heavyweights. I mean, that's pretty embarrassing, and you're being treated like a bit of a joke. Sean, did you guys hear Dana talking about it over the weekend? This was a great post-fight press conference. I don't think Dana means to be funny sometimes, but... (laughs) Here, here. Dana's having trouble getting Aljo and Sugar Sean together. Now, not for nothing. When Dana starts telling some of the horror stories that happened from the office in terms of putting a fight together, that's the good stuff. That is absolutely the good stuff. I love knowing what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, I love when, it, when it's hard to get a fight together. Oh, it makes you want to see the fight so much more. But Dana's not doing this from a matter of promotion. He's actually annoyed and frustrated. <laughs> okay, so He's telling the story about trying to get Sean and Aljo together. And he says, yeah, Hunter, Hunter's my neighbor. Hunter comes over and he knocks on the door and says, what in the hell's going on here? Th- Let me stop you right there. That image, okay... Hunter needs to talk to Dana so much that he comes over and, and knocks on his front door. That's funny. And I wish we would hear. I didn't know they were neighbors. I'm really interested in that. For whatever reason, Hunter had to go knock on the door. What is happening with, with Aljo and Sean, though? I mean, we knew that this fight was going to happen. We haven't had a position where the number one contender was identified Prior to a title match taking place, we've only had that a couple of times. I mean, this was a treat to have Sean O'Malley in the front row watching the action and then be able to get in and have an organic face-off where he ends up getting his coat stolen. Right? By Marab. Like, he unretires Cejudo. Cejudo was in that ring to retire. He took his gloves off to retire. He changed his mind. Watching all of this play out, which we never would have had had we not had a number one contender identified ahead of time. And it had a built-in byproduct, which was because we have the number one contender identified and we now know who the opponent is going to be, we can book this fight quickly. And they did, including making it that night. You would only need one hand to count the times that Dana 
after a fight could go to the press conference and book a match, particularly a main event. It's just not something that we get to do. It was to the extent that I thought Dana misspoke. When Dana said he's going to put Aljo and Sean in Boston, I grab my calendar if I look at Bo Boston's in August. We're, we're, we're partway to June. They're, he's not going to turn them around that quickly. He's not turning anybody around that quickly. Israel Adesanya wants to be in, is begging to be in there. He couldn't turn them around that quickly. Islam Makhlchev is sitting waiting for a number one contender in a fight of two guys that don't even want to fight each other. And that's, I mean, I'm just sharing with you. Nobody gets turned around. I really did. I think I thought Dana misspoke. Chimaya is a huge draw and a fan favorite and change of weight class. We don't even have any fight for him. Kamar Uzman, people were talking about he's going to retire. Turns out not only is he not going to retire, he wants a number one contenders match. He wants back in there. He wants to get his belt back. I love that. I want to hear more about that. For some reason, Kamara has decided to be quiet with us. I, don't, I wish that he won it. Kamara has never been more exciting. The fact that he's now got that hunger and drive back, I mean, this is top of the page. Headline worthy stuff. But he doesn't have an opponent yet. And Dana announces he's going to turn Aljo around with Sugar Sean. He's going to do it in a snap of fingers. I'm just sharing with you. I thought that he had the wrong date. And it turned out he absolutely did not. And you have to understand it's the Boston card. You must really understand Dana's from Boston, and he only puts his best foot forward there. Only. God, I fought I fought on Boston for him one time. And I mean, to tell you about the car, it was just, it was incredible. It really was. It was an incredible card. I remember Travis Brown and Overeem fighting. I remember Conor McGregor and Max Holloway. Yeah, could you imagine that if you're a new fan? Can you imagine that? Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway, they fought They fought on an undercard. I mean, I'm just sharing. Dana loads this thing up. This wasn't even a pay-per-view. Boston, Dana, UFC, special. Very special. And I say that because the projections of what Aljo versus Sugar Sean, we, of course, don't have those. They must be beautiful. They must be beautiful. To be, that's the headlining act. And Dana wanted, and he knew it, and he brought him out, and he faced him off, and he announced it that night. It means he really believes in that match. It's a big compliment. It's a big compliment to both of those athletes. And Sterling is having some fun right now. I, I mean, if I was to give you some quotes, or even if you just want to go follow Sterling on, on social media, he is having some fun. He is enjoying this. But he doesn't want anybody taking him for granted. All the way down to where they announce, okay, he's going to fight, and he's going to do it on this date, and he's going to do it to this guy. Hey, hold on a second. I'm not doing any of those things until you come and talk to me. You're going to come and ask me at a minimum. You're going to have me agree at a minimum. And as champion, I mean, he, he's having some fun. He's going to be there. He's going to fight Sugar Sean. Don't, don't, don't even worry about those things. But he's having a level of fun. I got to tell you, I like to see it. I mean, that championship will change you. That championship will change everybody. Everybody that says, I'll never change with the champ. Yes, you will. You will. And, and, and it's not it's not just that you will change, but the, but the other people around you will change. They will start treating you differently. Well, now things have just changed. And I only bring that to you because if anybody has navigated this as well as Aljo Sterling, I, I haven't seen it. I don't know who that person is. Aljo Sterling went into Peter Yawn Part 2. I had to remind him he was the champion. I had him, I had him on, he was a guest on the program. 
He had no idea. I mean, he went into that as though Jan had the belt. He was 100% the challenger. And he believed that. It to remind him that he had the title. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really big deal when you can get yourself in that mindset. So when you're seeing Sterling pushing back and there's a, there's a little yin and yang going on, even if it's through the form of social media, you may not understand what that's about. You think he's pushing back on the Sean fight. You're gonna you're not going to take that with a grain of salt. You're going to take it at face value and think, oh, Sterling hasn't agreed yet to fight Sean, or he doesn't want to fight Sean, or he's unwilling to fight Sean, or he's scared to fight Sean, right? We always love to tell these <laughs> Sterling. Sterling's the world champion. The idea that he would be scared of anybody is humorous at this point, but we will do that eventually, and you'll do that, but you'll be doing that through a misunderstanding. Sterling has put himself in a position where it has not gone to his head, and he's not out there to defend anything. He's out there to win something. Whatever that is, but that's the frame of mind where he believes he does his best work, and he's right. He has, he has correctly identified that. So he is creating an environment to change the expectation. Bernard Hopkins was great at doing this. Bernard Hopkins had to be a victim. And I can't go that far for Aljo. I don't think Aljo quite needs victim status, but Bernard did. Bernard to get pissed off at something. They were holding back. They were do- There was the size of his face on a poster in conjunction with that of De La Hoya's, and he used that as a motivation. And all the rest of us go, well, he makes a good point about the size. I, I never really thought that the artwork had something to do with a respect or a disrespect by the promoter, but it's one of these things that you had to start listening to. So anything that you're seeing Sterling do that you could falsely be interpreting is his way of getting out of a match or being scared or not wanting to do a match. You're wrong. He's keeping himself in a position of hunger. And he does and he views the world and himself as doing his best work when he's the challenger. He's trying to win something. He's trying to take something as opposed to trying to protect something. Now, that game's only going to work for so long. Like I said, that title changes everybody. But right now, Aljo's doing everything right. He's keeping himself in the correct frame of mind. I just don't want you to misinterpret that for thinking perhaps he doesn't want to do the match in August. Big thanks to this episode sponsor, Game Time. The Game Time app is your one-stop shop for tickets to all your favorite live events, including last-minute tickets to the NBA Finals, NHL Playoffs, and there's still a whole lot of baseball left in this season. Guys, buying tickets should not be a stressful process. Using the Game Time app is a fast and easy way All you got to do is search for the event, and there you're going to find the best tickets available. You can even see the view from your seat in the app. Guys, that's pretty helpful. Forget the pressure of planning months in advance. Game Time has killer deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and their Game Time guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Gotta tell you, that's pretty generous of them. All right, guys, snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code CHAIL. That's gonna get you $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CHAIL. For $20 off, 
Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The kids on the underground, they've done it again. So there's a thread over there, MMA.TV, and they're just talking about who's going to present the BMF title, Gaethje Poirier. Who's going to present it? And if you guys will remember, I've only done this once, and this is this is a part that I feel as though maybe even leadership is missing. The fact that it's only been done once, that adds to it. It doesn't take away. The BMF title is mysterious. It really is. And it's a real honor. I mean, you got to be a BMF to be in the discussion. Now, with that said, we've only got one frame of reference. But it was true then. Now, when we talk about the presenter, one and only time this belt has been contested was Madison Square Garden. The President of the United States was in attendance, and The Rock put the belt around the waist of the winner, which ended up being George Masvidal. So I'm offering you all of these different things because when the kids on the underground are talking about it, they want some of that pomp and circumstance brought back. They wanted to uh, follow the BMF around. And whether or not that literally has to do with who puts the belt, okay? I do get their theme, and I do like their theme, and I do wish that we'd put just a couple of things around it. I love when something can be linear. That's me. Uh, but I don't have to have that. Give you a great example. The NCAA championship is not in any sport. The Olympic championship, gold, silver, or bronze for that matter, is not linear in any sport. So what I'm talking about when I talk about linear is, so Masvidal was the, the BMF champion. Masvidal lost to Kamar Usman, which would make Kamar Usman the BMF champion. Kamara dropped a match to Leon, which would make Leon the reigning BMF champion. That would be the linear title. And I believe that most titles in combat do need to go that way, but there's also something to be said for was the belt on the line. I mean, Ric Flair was a 17-time world champion. That leads you to believe over the course of his career, he probably lost 17 matches. No, he lost matches all the time. Ric Flair would drop matches to Dusty Rhodes all the time. It would just never be for the belt. He'd go drop a match to Dusty Rhodes on television that wasn't for the belt clean, a clean one, two, three, and then they would go and want to do something that was called closed circuit at the time where they would put the belt up, and now people know that Dusty can win and might win. They know that because he just did win. So I'm just sharing with you, like, there's not a set of rules. That's what I'm saying, right? I didn't go to pro wrestling to become silly or ridiculous. I went there just to share with you we're in a very unique time. We could do whatever we want. Maybe the BMF, maybe we've got to take presence. Maybe we've got to take that from George Masvidal. So, so what things happened with George Masvidal? Well, you only got to fight for it once. It is not going to be linear. You might lose a match to Kamar Usman. You might lose to him again. You might lose a match to Colby Company. You might lose a match to Gilbert Burns. You are still the BMF champion. Well, he's now been stripped. Right? It doesn't work that way with the Olympics. You win the Olympics in, in, in 1984, you don't win them in 88 or 92 or 96 or ever again. You are still the Olympic champion. But now we've learned that that's not going to be the case with the BMF. Masvidal officially is no longer the BMF. 
And that's relevant. They took the belt away. This is not a BMF for the weight class of 155 pounds. Don't mistake that. Don't mistake that. And, and these little fine points and these intricacies are wildly important that we do understand and observe because we got to start somewhere. If you want the belt to have a credibility and a viability, we have to have certain rules that attach to it. I think perhaps one of them should be that you're only going to fight for it once. It's not going to be defended. Now, do you keep that to retirement? Does the BMF stay with you until retirement like it did with George before anybody else can fight for it again because it is not divisional? See, that, this is one of the most interesting points, and I hope you're not missing this. Dana spoke about this very briefly, but it is the most interesting point that we've got so far about the BMF. It is not divisional. It is company-wide. Do you understand what I, are you following me here? George Moswell did it at 170. His retirement relinquished the belt. The belt is now going to be contested at 155, so it is not divisional. Which means you have to take it off. You have to have somebody that is stripped for it even to become eligible before you can even pick the weight class, or in our sport, the gender. So I'm just saying... What are we going to do here? Would that mean that a person would only fight for it one time and will keep it until retirement? And then upon retirement, it gets to be placed. See how hard it is to win? See how difficult? I think it was meant to be silly. A lot of things are. A lot of things in life start out and they weren't meant. But it's a big deal. It's a damn big deal to those athletes. Pori and Gaethje got something in common. They've both been world champions, but they didn't ask to fight for the world championship. They asked to fight for the BMF. They are in training right now, twice a day, every day. They are going to put it on the line in the middle of summer, in this case July, in Salt Lake City in front of the world. For what? For the BMF title. It matters to them. It matters to them, and it's a big deal. And, and, and the more prestige gets added by its obscurity, right? The Olympic Games is a tournament, as you guys all know. That tournament is held every single year. Are you aware of that? Probably not. You're probably not. It's called the World Championships. Every fourth year, they call it the Olympic Games. The process and the tournament happens every single year in every single sport. But every fourth year, instead of having a World Championship, they call it the Olympic Games. And I just share that with you because the Olympics has so much prestige. Why? What'd they do? What's different? This tournament happens every single year. Well, first off, once a year isn't very often. And second off, the prestige. You got you to gotta do it every fourth year. Why? Just to make things harder for no other reason than that. Next question. Uh, Abu Dhabi did this. They wanted to go every year. And it was the most respected grappling event that there was. And they decided they wanted to be even more respected. And they didn't want somebody to be able to come along and beat it. In most cases, you would go more often, you would have more money, you'd have more exposure, you'd have more validity. They did less, and it worked. It worked. For sure, Abu Dhabi is number one, is the most respected. Well, guys went Abu Dhabi and never entered anything again. They just go around, they'll do seminars, they'll make some DVDs. Really big deal, really effective. Not many times in life that you can do less and get a bigger bounce, but every now and then. And I bring that to you within the BMF. It's extremely important of anything that we've learned so far. We'll get to who the presenter is and we'll get what's on the line. But as we start to find some rules that come around, it's not linear, which we understand.
but it's also not divisional. It's industry-wide. So how do you become eligible? How does the belt become eligible? The belt has to come off a guy. Does that mean whoever wins between Gaethje and Poirier maintains that status until retirement? That's a question I don't have the answer. But I think you guys get the theme. I think you get where I'm going. And we don't get to just pick what we want these things to be. We have to observe. We have to observe and study through a precedence. And there isn't but one. So whatever you've identified, whatever you can pick out that I've missed, please, by all means, share in the comments below. Costa has an opponent. Now, I'm talking about the July card, and I'm talking about at Salt Lake, and I'm talking about quite possibly the most loaded card I've ever seen. I will admit for you, I have a very short-term memory. Nothing will compete with UFC 100. Nothing will, quite frankly, compete with 200. But I'm, I'm also eliminating those. I could at least tell you I have not seen this good of a card in a meaningful amount of time. I haven't seen it in two years. I haven't seen it in three years. I haven't seen it since the pandemic. This Salt Lake, I don't know what Utah did. I don't think of them as some fight capital. We don't get any records out there in Utah. We don't get any special. I have no idea what they did to get this card. But boy, is this thing loaded. And when Paulo Costa got his opponent, again, let me just go back to that question. Did you guys see who Paulo Costa's opponent is? There's only going to be one time in Paulo's career, as long as he keeps going along swimmingly like it is, there's only going to be one time where you're going to get him to do a match that otherwise you might not be able to get him to do. And it's right now. It's right when you redo a contract and your first one back, hey, we'll do this, we'll do this, here's what you're going to do. It's your first one back, it's right now. I thought that card was going to be played against Chemayev. Now, I thought that because Paulo and Chemayev told me they were going to fight him. I had, I had very good reason. And there was no way that this was the plan, right? This gentleman just fought two weeks ago, and when he got done, he called out Bo Nickel. So... This gentleman versus Paulo Costa was never a thought, but here we are. Why? Why are we here? It seems like a great fight. I, I'm completely in. I'm completely on board. Why is he not fighting Bo Nickel? What was wrong with that idea? Why is Paulo Costa not fighting Chimaev as scheduled? And more importantly, why are both of these guys booked that I'm speaking about and the one left without a partner is Chimaev? I'd like to know. It's not a huge conspiracy, whatever the answer is. It's not a huge deal. How come we don't know? How come we don't have a reporter within the sport that would find that out? How come there isn't a marketing arm or a PR team somewhere that would already give us resolution to that? Because it'd be fascinating. It'd be a really great topic. I don't agree with anything that has been done with Shemayev. None. You, you won't get Chael Sonnen to sign off on all of it. But boy, was I fascinated as it played out. The accidental marketing experiment of taking Jemayev and turning him around instantly. It ended up being a seven-day weigh-in, eight days till the fight, or a six-day weigh-in and seven days till the fight at two different weight classes. See, that was the most important thing. It was the most important thing, and I, I continually have to tell you that because the marketing and the PR team never has. I'm not sure that they're even aware that it happened, quite frankly. 
But they have never, and I do mean never, told you that Chemayev fought at 185 and then fought at 170, which is far more interesting than 85 and 85 or 70 and 70 or even 70 and then 85. It's a really big deal that he fought at 185. He's got six days until weigh-in on a fight that he, he wasn't planning to take and he went down 15 pounds. It's fascinating. You don't, you don't know this because nobody's told you. And when I say the accidental marketing experiment, you couldn't do anything like that because nobody ever could have predicted you would be fighting six days apart. Nobody ever predicted a guy from the undercard is going to get pulled up to a different weight class, but then again, they're stuck on an island. They only got so many guys, only so many guys that are licensed, and we kind of need somebody, and we kind of need him right now. Oh, and by the way, getting a, your opponent to agree to something on short notice is tough to do, but of course he's going to agree to you because you've only done this one time. He's 0-0, but you're 1-0, whatever the records are. I mean, you get my point. Like, this was not something that could be done. It, it ended up being accidental, but then you're turning him around real quick. You're bringing him right back. You've got Gerald Merchant 3, and he's going back to 85. Then you're going to bring him back. You're going to drop him down to 170. You're going to put him in there against Leon. And, and while you're doing that, you've got the backdrop of, of Chemayev versus Kamara Uzman. It's going to be the fastest rise to a championship since Brock Lesnar. Like, this thing is really, really interesting. And then, for reasons unknown, they decided to do nothing. They decided to go completely quiet. And there's a million things that could happen in the front office while you're not getting matches. It has nothing to do with why the market and the PR would ever change. But it did. They did nothing. And so we haven't heard from Chemayev. The last time you heard from Chemayev, it was me going on Ariel's show, breaking the news that it was going to be Chemayev versus Polacost on Fight Island at 185 pounds. It turns out that's been broken up. Polacost is on his way to Salt Lake in 60 days, and Chemayev still doesn't have a partner. That's interesting. How did we get here and why? It's not as though dude who two weeks ago called out Bo Nickel, there would be nothing meaningful about the guy's match. I can't produce his name or his opponent's name. But it was interesting when he called out Bo Nickel. So now I remember, I'm not looking to insult him. I'm not at all. It was a very good fighter. I went and looked into him. He's only lost one fight. It was to, in the Brave organization, and it happened to be Tuchemayev. Very, very good. What I'm sharing with, it doesn't really matter what happened. A guy whose most meaningful moment in fighting was calling out Bo Nickel does not get matched up with a draw like Paulo Costa. It just doesn't happen. Unless, then you got to fill in the blank. And you're still not going to get Paulo Costa to head that way on the cards. You can do it one time, and that's his first time back after doing a new contract, which is what they did. So they like this, and they valued it, and I'm, I'm just wondering why. What did they see here? What's, what, what, what's the big deal? I like the Salt Lake, and I'm very open to different ideas. I mean, I tell you that I like the Salt Lake because we're going to bring the Paulo in there, right? And the Paulo did his last fight in the Salt Lake as well. That was against the Luke Rockholt. So is there something about, about that demographic specifically? And we like Paulo. We're going to get Paulo over here. We're going to get him on this one-off. We're even going to break up this huge fight that the world wants to see. We're going to break up this huge fight and put him here against the guy that said Bo Nichols' name in broken English and got a better translation through Joe Rogan. It's one of these things. Why are we here? How did we get here? Why are we here? And moreover, why is the biggest name, the most headline-worthy, the loudest reception the, the, the sports media darling Chemayev, not mentioned at all. Why? Why is that? Is it a mistake? Somebody get busy? Do they not realize that they're doing it? What is going to be next for Chemayev? Where is Chemayev going to go? 
So you, you, you've got Chemayev with an open dance card, guys. Okay, are you aware of this? You've got Chemayev with an open dance card. And you have Dana over the weekend announcing a new deal with Australia. And the only piece of information he gives us is a month, which in this case was September, and a main eventer, which in this case was Israel Adesanya. So we broke up Chemayev's fight and made Chemayev available. The same night that we find out that we broke up Chemaya's fight, making him unavailable, that same night, separated by three hours, we get the information of this Australia deal and a main event note to Israel Adesanya. But nobody has made a connection here. Nobody has even hinted or rumored at a connection here, not until right now. Now, we've been told in no uncertain terms, very explicitly, we were told that Chemayev will have to do one fight at 85 successfully before he can be in talks of a title. But now we have a date and a venue and a champion. And now we have a top guy who they broke up a fight who's now available. And they're talking about getting Duplices or Robert Whitaker and getting one of them available to take on Izzy, which would be a return to, right, you, you don't have to wonder who's going to win that fight. That fight should have been broken up. It never should have been made. We, you, we don't have to wonder who's going to win that fight. So Robert Whitaker is going to come out of that fight. He's going to eliminate the top contender that the champion wants. And now we're going to be faced with, do we want to send Bobby Knuckles against the style better? We'll send him back to Australia, which, which currently has the gate. 57,000 people live in an arena. Do we want to do that? And if we do do that, what do we do with Chemayev? And nobody has yet to make that connection until now. Guys, I got a very unique opportunity. I got invited to go to Iowa through the wrestling program, take a look around. Now, I will tell you on a personal note, I am probably most interested in the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. And I say that because, hey, we got to start at the beginning, okay? The Brands Brothers, this is wrestling royalty, but it's not just wrestling royalty. This is the age, this is the group that I look up to. These are the guys that are of the age, right? When I'm an eighth grader, they're in college, they're coming out. I'm starting to get into college. These are the guys that you're dreaming of being like. So... Wrestling has changed so immensely since I was in there. Uh, Chuck Kearney. Chuck Kearney was my coach, but he is one of the great minds. I mean, if you want to talk a historian, you want to talk about somebody that doesn't forget the way it happened and it will tell the story accurately. And Chuck will be the first to tell you. Wrestlers love to say that the sport has changed, but it really hasn't innovated it truly hasn't innovated since the 90s. I mean, John Smith started taking you to the knee, just for example, instead of high up in the crotch. John Smith started taking you to the ankle, just by example. But John Smith was doing this in 88. He was doing it in 87 when he was the world champion. And Chuck will tell you the thing that changes the most about wrestling isn't actually the fundamentals of the sport or even the rules or feel it to the UWW. It's the business, the business of wrestling. And if you wanted to be a great in my time, well, the Branses would be a perfect example. Perfect example, you had to attach yourself to a college program. And what that would look like, right, when you roll into the National Open, you've got all these guys that found a way to attach themselves to a college program. 
That means they would go in and they would work out with the college athletes. They would go in in the morning and do whatever conditioning they were doing. They would go in the afternoon, do the, the same practice that they did when they had eligibility, and then they'd grab a group of three or four and they'd stick around and they'd do parterre for about 15 minutes. That's what it looked like. And you would go and you would win world and Olympic medals like this. And I'm sure the guys that were around, there's, there's some caveats. I, I'm moving a little bit quickly here, but, but I'll bring to you this. It was a massive recruiting tool, particularly in the 90s, if you had a wrestling club attached to your athletic program, and not very many people did. It was another level of commitment, and it couldn't just be made by a coaching staff. That was a, a misconception. That commitment had to be made through the athletic department because they had to supply the money. Whether that was for coaches or for facilities, whether that was just to get the plane tickets to two or three events a year, right? Sunkist used to kick off our wrestling. I, I miss Sunkist. Boy, I hope Art Matoy brings that back. But the Sunkist tournament would kick off American wrestling. It was one of the great domestic tournaments in the history of the United States. I wish that it would come back, but that, that's how we kick things off. And maybe you'd get a tour overseas if you wanted to do one. And then you'd be in April ready for the Nationals. And the U.S. Open take you right to the World Team Trials. More recent, much more recent, five, six years, we came up with Final X. I believe Final X takes us back. Yeah, it doesn't take us to 16. It doesn't take us to 16. Let me just remember those Olympic trials. I remember Dake versus uh, Cox in the finals, 185 pounds. My point being, in the 90s, you really needed or it really helped you with recruiting if you had a club, and the Hawkeyes did, right? Gable did, and Gable passed that right over to the Brands Bros. And I was watching the World Team Trials yesterday. When I tell you I'm going out to Iowa, I'm going to be real interested in that club. There's a reason, though. When I'm watching the World Team Trials yesterday, there's not a whole lot of teams. There is programs, and this RTC business, boy, it's a big deal. And it's an awesome job. You want to know who never got credit? I was there. I swear to goodness, whether you believe this or not, I was there when RTC was created. I, it was in a van. And this will surprise you. You want to know who created regional training centers? And never got credit. Has never once been given credit. Do you want to know? You'll never guess it. You'll never guess it because it was a Greco guy. Yes. Steve Frazier got the idea from Dan Russell in a van. Training for the Pan American Championships, not the games, the championships. No, not the championships, it was the games. In Winnipeg in 2000. That's a true story. Happened in 1999, getting ready for the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Dan Russell gave a pitch to Steve Frazier, who was the head of the governing body, which is USAW, Frazier liked the idea and took it back, and then Freestyle grabbed it and really ran with it. That's a that's a absolute true story. Dan Russell and Steve Frazier came up with the RTC program. Set the RTCs aside. I just want to talk about the Hawkeye Wrestling Club because that's one that was here before, was here during, and is here now. And when I do look at the Hawkeye Wrestling Club, that's a real team, and that matters to me, right? There's not a whole ton of wrestling fans out there. The, you guys watching the piece, and I'm the same way. And it, But if there's anybody to get behind, it's real easy to get behind a program if you understand that's a real team. The world team and the Olympic team, I mean, they'll take these guys, these guys will camp and they'll do bonding things. They're not a real team. 
They're a group of guys that beat a lot of your actual team members to make the spot, and you're going to get matching singlets and fly off to an event. It's not a real team. I mean, I got to tell you that. I was involved uh, with, with a couple of different world team training camps, and there was some exercises that were done to really bond these guys. They're not a team. They're going to get matching singlets. They beat members of your real team. The Hawkeye Club is a real team. There's nobody that's part of the Hawkeye Club that didn't come through that program. And over the history of time, that'd have to be a little bit more of a broad stroke. I can think of I can think of Chad Lamer would be a great example. Chad Lamer went on became a world champion, university world champion, through these guys. Made it to the final wrestle off. Who beat Lamer? Lamer beat Dominic Black, and it was Melvin. Melvin had to go through Lamer, but he wins a world championship for him. He did his college in North Dakota. He's a Division two guy. He came out to the Hawkeye Club. Why do I throw that at you? Because in 25 years, you can only find that and maybe two more exceptions. They're a real team, right? You, you got Alex the Bull out there. Just by example, they're missing Spencer. Spencer's got, got to go get these knees right. You, 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 you have DeSanto, but it's a real team. I'm looking around. This is a real team. And the same goes for the women. They've now got Division One status. Clarissa Chung is putting a, she is assembling a small army and she's doing it very quietly, but you have an actual team. And when you get to these events, it's their actual team. And yes, you could go, you could go spread the butter around. There's ways that you re could recruit. I don't fault the guys that do, but when you have your actual team and you bring that actual crew along because you actually kept them motivated and they actually believed in you and you actually believed in them, I just, it's different. It's different. That's what I'm going to look into when I get out there. I will get to the the absolute bottom of what is going on with Spencer. We'll talk directly with Spencer. And just find out about those knees, right? Because I've never liked, I never liked the way Spencer got treated. One thing that was forgotten is that's a young man, right? That's a young man. That's a college athlete. That's a kid. That's a kid. I don't, I don't want to hear about he's over 18. The part that Spencer didn't understand is when he got heckled or when he got teased, when people were prodding him, it didn't come from a point of sincerity or talking about your legacy or what you've done or how you're going to be remembered. Those people wanted to see him. They were sad. They were disappointed. They were sad and disappointed they didn't get to see more Spencer. So they thought teasing and prodding was the way to get him onto the mat. That's the truth. And sometimes you got to choose. Do I want to go see Nikki Freestyle right now just to settle this beef, just so I don't have to live with hearing of you guys that I... Do I want to go see him right now? Because I'm not sure that I can see Zane later. And I don't think I'm going to see any of them for a few months. I know what's going on with my knee. I know I, I can go do this match. Or I start taking care of it right now. Let him, let them get on with it. If I go out there and beat him, I haven't now helped Team USA. I haven't really helped anybody. But if I know I'm not going to go on and I can get you this information sooner rather than later, you guys can at least position yourselves. I mean, I, I got to tell you, there's a little time gone by. It's pretty clear that of those two pools, Spencer, he put his feet in the right one. So I got an opportunity. I got invited. I'm going. I'm going out to Iowa. I'm going to check the whole thing out, from the recruits to the college kids. Mr. Fast Twitch is on campus now. We'll spend some time with him, maybe even hit the weight room. But I will get you the actual story of what is actually going on.
right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to let you know that if you need more ways to support the program, you can simply head over to Spotify, leave me a five-star rating. Lots more to get to on Friday. Guys, until then, I'm the one and only Chael Sonnen, and you are, of course, welcome.